Let's ask God's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very thankful. This is spend time in your word, and we'd ask that you would add things to the thoughts we have about you, your son. We'd ask that you would build in us the kind of person that you describe in your New Testament. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, my, uh, one of my cousins asked me what I was going to preach on today at the reunion. And I said, well, I don't know. I have a lot of sermon illustrations I've picked up at the, at the reunion. I'll try not to wax too much on, on uh, what that was like. You didn't have to go to the reunion. You didn't even have to look at the photos. There's no reason why you'd have to endure it in a sermon as well. We're looking at John 3, a portion of it after the famous part with, you know, John 3.16. I think I spoke on this about three years ago, but not on this subject out of it. Now a discussion arose between John's disciples and a Jew over purifying. Now, this is before the Christian church. This is such an easy thing to get into an argument about that baptisms become an automatic argument even before Jesus dies. I mean, just, people are just able to get into a fight about which form of baptism, what they view baptism to be, what age you get to be baptized at, whatever those sorts of things are. Here, John's disciples and a Jew, not even the guys following Jesus, but they're already in the, the purifying or the washings. That's what baptism has to do with, the you know, ablutions, washings. And in the temple, they had various washings. The various communities in the desert, the Essenes, had ritual baptisms, washings for things. And so it was an arena. It was like we get to fight over, what do we fight over? Baptism. We fight over uh, gifts of the Spirit. We fight over end times theology. Mine's right. But it was, a, it was a common practice, these ritual purifications. Even some of the pagan religions. The, I think the, the worship of Kibbele had a... called the Torobolium. I think it was a Torobolium. Uh, where you got to... You'll, you'll be thankful that you're Christians after this. You stood in a, under a grate, and they'd walk a bull out on top of the grate, and they would sacrifice the bull, and the blood of the bull would run down over you, and you'd be baptized in its blood. Be thankful that we're Christians. Here come the co-op uh, representatives with all their trendy, free-range pop. And no leaving, no leaving. Don't pretend to get coffee downstairs and run down the street and get a donut. And I don't care if this is being recorded, you're not doing it. We only got to the first verse. You didn't miss the, miss, miss the meat of the sermon. So very early, people are getting into discussions, arguments, and so they take it to John. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, 
He who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, here he is, baptizing, and all are going to him. It seems that the subject of this discussion over purifying was not methodology, but like Paul argues in Corinthians, I'm, Paul was not baptized for you. I'm glad, glad well, you were not baptized in the name of Paul. Paul was not crucified for you. He was grateful that people weren't baptized by him because people defined who they were by who baptized them. A lot of this, a lot of what goes on is group sociological pride, a get-aheadism in different religious ministries. And look at the way they phrased it to John. He who was with you, you bore witness to him, now, here he is, baptizing, and everybody's leaving you and going to this other guy. Now, remember, they didn't know the Lord's future career in history. There's just a couple of different teachers, one kind of wild and woolly, you know, guy from Boulder, Colorado, and the other one a bit more um, uh, nicely dressed. But one of the worst feelings you could have. I'm in the ministry. I have a small church. The loss of a person to go to a different fellowship? Oh, we were glad to sell the church and not wandering away from the Lord. But you always feel it. You feel it. So, <laughs> I can't spare that. The numbers. But what if they're not just leaving you because they like the singing better? At, not that you don't sing well, but what if they did? You go, okay, I understand that. But what if it was to draw closer to Jesus Christ. Just can't do it at your church, Evan. That, that sting, I tell you. Don't phrase it to me that way. Don't say, oh, you really are an awful pastor, Evan. That's what John's getting. That's what they're saying. Hey, wasn't this guy used to be in your ministry? Didn't he used to, wasn't he with you? Didn't you bear witness to him? Aren't you kind of before him? Didn't you set him up in the ministry, get him going? And here he is, baptizing, and people are being wooed away by this other cult leader. John answered, no one can receive anything except what is given him from heaven. Usually we think of John the Baptist as kind of, you know, the, never combs his hair, you know, probably mud caked in it and eating bugs. And, and you sort of expect that kind of prophet to be a little bit wacky, a little uttering incomprehensibles. This is a really straightforward claim about the nature of government on earth. No one can receive anything except what is given him from heaven. Christ almost says the same thing. I'm trying to remember where that is. When, in the end of John, <clears throat> I didn't put this in the notes, but I just thought of it. Um, In John 19, Pilate therefore said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he who could deliver me to you has the greater sin. You read Romans 13, All authority has been instituted by God 
you know, you've heard me talk before and how everything is a, answers the question, who's in charge here? Every argument, every war, every child discipline issue is a question that is racketing through our brains, not to the same conclusion all the time, but we want to know who's in charge here. And the disciples of John and this Jew were going, hold it, you know, our concerns about these baptisms and they're going over to this other guy, we're not, we're not in on this deal. John is completely at ease with it. You yourselves bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. You knew that I was, I was not bearing witness to this guy because I was more important to than this guy and he was going to carry on my ministry. I am not the Christ. I bore witness to him. But that's a smaller position. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and, hear him and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now full. One of the greatest verses in the scripture. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's not what you're supposed to be saying in the business of religious ministries. You're not supposed to be comfortable with this. It's almost disturbing that, that he takes such almost a laissez-faire attitude to the work of God in him. He came, appointed to do a certain thing. He did it, and as he did it, he had to lose it. I've mentioned this before, you know what a father has to go through. David uh, Leach was saying after Bethany's wedding the other day, you just don't know what it feels like until you got to do it. He said, just, you know, he has one daughter, gave her away, what, a week ago? A week ago Saturday? Why do fathers have such a hard time with that? Well, because for X number of years, we had the authority given us by God to be this young woman's father. We don't have that authority anymore. We gave her away. That's what they ask. Who gives this woman to marry this man? Her mother and I. Boom, it's done. You gotta sit down, shut up. You can't tell her what to do anymore. Well, they try sometimes, but ought not. We know what this is like. We don't, we don't think it's almost, it's un-American to give up. It's un-American to not always be striving and competing in this ultimate question of who's in charge here. We all think we ought to be all, Alexander the Great, all of us conquering everything. We never know, and you know that I'm a fan of, you know, imperialism. You know I believe that it's great to take another person's country, um, get their stuff. Um, but there's an element in this, as we're trying to discover through conquest, where we belong, where we're serving God. We're trying to find our dignity, not make ourselves the best in the world. We're trying to find our dignity. God has given us what we are supposed to have. You cannot receive anything except what is given to you from heaven. You're just trying to find out what that is. John knew what it was. He had been sent to announce the Messiah, not be the Messiah. 
standard religious policy was you keep going and trying to get everybody under your umbrella so that you become the greatest. Nobody wants to think, I must decrease. Now, the application for this morning, if you want any application. Um, do you know your place? I mean, really, have you spent any time going back to the scriptures and your knowledge of yourself, look in the mirror and say, who am I? What has God given me? What am I supposed to do? And who do I submit to? Who do I rule? That's what you ought to be thinking about. You need to know, I have this verse on the side from Romans 12, for by the grace given to me, I bid every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. Find out where you are. Find out who you are. Find out if you're a father who just gave his daughter away in marriage. You just found out something. You swore before witnesses that you gave her away. The whole bunch, everybody was standing up, listening to you say it. Because that's where they, she's just walked down the aisle, and everybody stands up. Who gives this woman to bear this man, her mother and I? Then they sit down, and you sit down, and we're all done. So, do you know that you're no longer an authority in her life? You are an honorable position in her life, but not an authority. When your children become in their majority, you lose authority. Or you're supposed to. John the Baptist's authority in this world, he was supposed to lose authority. His ministry was to announce the Christ. Christ was supposed to come. And all of a sudden, everything John had worked to produce would fade away. And he was accepting that. His disciples actually kept on going. We, we know from Acts that uh, Apollos was probably a John disciple and consequently knew of the Christ, but they only knew of John's baptism when Apollo, um, Apollos' disciples were met by Paul in Ephesus. So, do you know where you stand? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? Now, I like that image of the friend of the bridegroom. You know why I liked it? Because I said, oh, what? Who are the most non-entities at a wedding? Mother of the groom and all the groomsmen. And probably the groom. Because what's it all about? Why is Brides Magazine that thick? There is no, no such thing as a groom's magazine. Okay? There isn't one. There are no TV shows of grooms picking out their tuxes. But I don't care who the woman is. She might be a gargoyle. She's on a reality show picking out her dress and fighting with her mom and her sisters about it. Because we're about the bride. Why we're about the bride? I don't know. Accident? Just an incident in history? I don't really mind it other than how ugly it gets. I mean, do you think weddings, I hate doing weddings. 
But do you think weddings would, would be quite so awful if it weren't about the bride? I really liked, uh, I've always said, your wedding should be masculine affairs. One man is seizing from another man part of his kingdom. The father loses, the husband gets. You say, Evan, you are a misogynist beyond belief. <laughs> Thank you very much. But when my nephew, Masis, got married, um, Armenian wedding in LA, we weren't there, but a couple weeks ago, and uh, also a military wedding. I mentioned this before. After a Navy wedding, they go under, they exit out over, under an arch of swords, series of officers, you know, officers with their sabers out. And the last one, as she passes under it, boom, sword comes down, swats her on the behind, and says, welcome to the Navy. <laughs> That's a masculine wedding right there. <laughs> you hit a woman with a sword and say, welcome to the... Feel free to work this out for the next wedding that occurs here. Now, it's incidental, it's about brides. Maybe it's the romance, right? women care, they don't care how they look, they want mother of the bride, has uh, always felt denied at her own wedding, so she's got to do it at her daughters. <laughs> they like football fathers. But part of it might be not just a metaphor, but an actuality that that we're more concerned about the object, the bride, rather than the Lord, the husband. We've been sent a husband. The word Lord in the Old Testament is the same as husband. Sometimes when we think as brides, and when bridezilla situations occur, it's because stamp their little pretty foot and say, I want it this way. I was at a wedding, which I think everything she saw on Pinterest, she had. If she saw anything she liked, it had to be at her wedding. It was like filling out a job application to enter the wedding area, the, the registration, because you had to not just register at the book, you had to fill out a card of advice. You had to look up a passage in a Bible and write your favorite verse. You had to... I just said, forget that, walked in. Now, this idea of lordship and who it is and how we think and what metaphors affect us is what I want you to be meditating on about is our bride-centric culture, not, we're not condemning it, we're just saying is that a witness to that we're always about what Jesus is going to do for us? First question is what are you going to do about him? It tells us in 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and of the earth he speaks. He who comes from heaven is above all. He's telling his, if this is still part of the quotation of John, there's, we, there's no punctuation, no quote marks in Greek, so they, they arbitrarily ended the quote at the end of verse 30, but it might still be John the Baptist speaking here, not John the Apostle. But he's explaining to these guys, this, this is the Christ, he is above all. You don't get except that which you've been given. 
by God, and he came down from heaven, given it by God. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. He who receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for it is not by measure that he gives the Spirit. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. The reason I want to bring this up with the whole bride-centric thing is when it's bride-centric, the foibles of the bride, the needs of the bride, sometimes start taking in seducers. Prophets have a verse here from Micah on the side of a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. He would be a preacher for this people. Because once it becomes about we who are less, salvation more about what we get or what we benefit or how we are reached or how we are affirmed, that we're in some sort of Disney movie where we, what's the phrases they always say, believe in yourself. Because that's the, the greatest good, to believe in yourself. Many Christians function that way too, as if Jesus Christ believing in them is what it's all about. Jesus providing for them and their interests. But it's all about, really, all the good you get out of Jesus Christ, all the grace you get out of Jesus Christ, is because you went to Jesus Christ as Lord. You turned away from John. And, and you said, I wasn't a follower of John the Baptist. Yeah, but you were probably a follower of you. And you must decrease, and he must increase. Even if you're John the Baptist, you must decrease. Even if you were the greatest messenger of God to walk the earth, no man born of woman is greater than John, says Jesus Christ. So this is the greatest human being ever. Next to Jesus. And he has got to decrease. That Christ may increase. We ought to think a little bit more groom-centric. We ought to be focusing as friends of the groom. That we stand rejoicing at what the Lord on the site gets. The Lord gets what he wants out of humanity. And you're either going to get it by you turning to face Christ and bowing, receiving it, believing in the Son to eternal life, or not, and getting punishment. You get something from Jesus. You don't get to say, uh, yeah, I would believe if I really felt I really wanted that. You don't get that option. You get to believe or not believe. Both of them are under the rule of Christ. You either get eternal life or you get the wrath of God. Those are, those are the only two options. I pulled this verse out of Song of Solomon because you don't get to pull verses out of Song of Solomon very often in church. Solomon 3.1 Upon my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. It's a great erotic poem in the scriptures. And it's all about, you, know, you get to Solomon, and he's almost in, incomprehensible. 
People even wonder in some cases if he's the actual bridegroom or lover of the girl because he's so almost not there. But she's there. She's yearning for the groom. She's yearning for her lover. We're looking for lords. We don't need more citizens of our kingdoms. We don't need greater greatness. We need to find the lords that live above us. But we don't. We turn to faith. We, 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 we face ourselves. We become about actualizing who we are. Building our self-esteem. Rather than saying, I esteem the Lord greater than myself. Even to love your neighbor. Have you ever been annoyed with somebody else? I don't know. Maybe. Ever stop and go, you know, the Lord commanded me to love them like I love myself. And I have just not, I have not given them the excuses that I give me. I have not loved them with the same degree of excuse making that I make when I ever do is, if you ever sin, real, you know, you've sinned, and start explaining that to yourself for days. Oh, I really, I can understand I did that, but man, it really wasn't that big of a problem. They probably didn't notice. We've got reams of information we can bring to the defense of ourselves, which we do not give even a nanosecond of relief to those that sin against us. We're supposed to love them as we love ourselves. We're always turning back to us. It's the big struggle for God. He died that his lordship, he made heaven and earth, and he paid the price for heaven and earth doing, messing it up badly. And you have got the option of seeking him. Finding that your love for him is the greatest thing to think about. I don't deny that Jesus Christ loves you. Right? It's true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that. We're concerned that we might not love him like the girl in the Song of Solomon. Besotted. Have to have him. Must look for him everywhere. We start to understand the decrease of our own lordship in our lives when we're that, not romantically in love with Christ, not singing praise choruses all the time so we could feel that feeling of total uh, um, abandonment in him, like St. Catherine or Teresa of Avila. But our actions ought to be entirely ready to decrease in lordship in our own lives so that he might increase. John 5, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He who does, he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to also have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. This is all about the groom, what he has gotten. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 
The problem with this is not a, you're not picking a single groom out of the crowd of men. This is the, the choice of picking the one true God. And if I make a mistake, the one true God doesn't go, oh, they didn't pick me. I guess I'll go meet another girl someplace else. Another planet, another time. Now, everyone is raised by this Lord and you are raised to life or you're raised to judgment. Now, what happens as we get caught up in our religious duties, we find ourselves struggling with getting followers for whatever theology or ministry or whatever it is we're in. And the saints are very willing to turn and face those lords. I was talking to a cousin this week. She said that uh, on the whole issue of gay marriage that, well, they, who am I to think, you know, speak about these things? Our church has decided X, Y, or Z. Very liberal situation. Who am I to say otherwise, huh? Who are you? It's not that she was great, but when we sometimes, when we realize we're not great enough, we, 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 some people do get a humility about themselves, and instead of turning to Jesus Christ, they turn to the church. Instead of turning to Jesus Christ, they turn to their favorite author. Have him fill in the blanks. Have your church tell you what's true, what's up, what's down. But these lesser lords are all measured by whether they turn to their husband. Do they turn to Christ? Are they reflecting what St. Paul says? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's not just imitate me because it's good to imitate other people or you need leadership in your life. We all do at various points in our lives. That's why parents exist in our life for X number of years. We need somebody to tell us what to do. We couldn't tie our shoes. We couldn't lift a spoon and put it in our mouth. So we know that that's true. And sometimes we pick lords, not according to those who have heard the word of Christ. Can they preach Christ? Wherever you end up, wherever you go to church, the rest of your days, do they preach Christ? Do they, are they unabashedly not ashamed is that redundant, unabashedly not ashamed? Yes, that's redundant. Colleen's nodding slowly in the back. He is so redundant, she says. Our choices matter on this issue. We are constantly being taught to either seize power or we become the object of somebody else's desire to seize power. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He has the power. It doesn't wait for your decision. You are still his. You are either going to be his in judgment or you're going to be his in life. Those are the two. It's not, I'm just recognizing who Christ is. I am not deciding what he's going to be. That's what true sovereignty is. You've heard of sovereignty, not in the, the usual theological argument. Sovereignty just means rule. And rule is the ability, ability to reward and the ability to punish according to your law. Christ will reward those who believe in him, all who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has eternal life. He has the power to do that. And it is also the power to punish. That was the, that's the measure of power. Can you reward, can you punish 
those. I can't claim to rule any of your lives. Why is that? Because I can't punish you. If I tell you, look, I, I, I need my garbage taken out this afternoon, and I point to somebody, and they look at me like, oh, well, forget it. Well, because I can't do anything about it. So I'm not in charge. Jesus Christ has sovereignty because he is powerful over us in reward and in punishment. We have a relationship with Christ. Here on the side, life and love, if he is the groom. Life and judgment, because that's what he says. He's been given the authority. He's going to, everyone's going to be raised. Everyone comes to life. A lot of people don't recognize the resurrection. Don't realize that everybody gets raised. Everybody. It's not just the Christians who get raised. It's not just the believers. Everybody gets raised. Everybody comes to life. It's raised an eternal life. Life and love in Christ. Or life and judgment in Christ. You get to pick. Where my mind went as I was going through this, out of John 20 here is what I pulled it up just to have it there in front of you. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. That's the problem with taking the Lord's name in vain. Because you've heard, oh my Lord, oh my heavens, oh my God, OMG, right? Is, this a, is, the, is the message by Peterson now going to include OMG right here instead of maybe the Living Bible? OMG, oh my God. You know what, you know what vanity does? We were talking about it on the porch the other last night when after we got back. Um, Facebook, you've heard of Facebook. Well, of course, every photo from the reunion being loaded up. So I'm gonna have to stare at family for another couple weeks as they load everything, every innocuous photo. And of course, every photo, there's 50 likes. And Gunn was saying, it debases the currency. Now nobody cares, nobody looks at likes, it means anything. That's what vanity does. You turn something, a phrase, my Lord and my God, he's not just expressing surprise. He believes. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in a Lord. And you believe in a God. So turning your face to him, for in you, for you to decrease and him to increase, 
you are going through, a, you might say, years or a moment or whatever circumstance of finding out that he is your Lord. He is your God. Meaning you are not your Lord and you are not your God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. An extra blessing for you. You don't just get to have that Thomas moment. Wouldn't that be great? Falling to your knees, seeing the risen Lord. And he is saying to Thomas, the guy who's experiencing this blessing, this great revelation of lordship, how much better for the people in North Idaho 2,000 years from now who are sitting on hard benches because it's Sunday morning You'll want to be with other people who share this belief that we have come to believe in Jesus Christ and can say, my Lord and my God, without having seen it. They are in a better, happier state. But you have to have come to that, my Lord and my God. You have to believe in him. And believing in him has content to it. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That goes all the way through the book of John. That's what John is announcing. He is the Christ. I have borne witness to him. Look at him. Follow him. Don't follow me. Follow him. I don't know, I, my wedding was a long time ago. 37 years and a couple of weeks. I still remember my wife, my, my mother-in-law, superstitious, not a believer. You couldn't see the bride on the day of the wedding. So after, before midnight, I was kicked out of their house the night before, had to go stay with Gordon at the Motel 6, who, where the air conditioning in the southern desert had gone out. It was 100 degrees. I'm with my little brother. He has used all the towels. All the towels. Day of my wedding, I get up. They're all like dish rags, completely wet, because Gordon has used all of them on the day of my wedding. Well, that's not bitterness. <laughs> but I stood at the front of the church in El Centro, California, and watched Leslie turn the corner in her private dressing. And uh, she was, of course, lovely. Now, I have no idea what she thought. Because sort of, we guys sort of have the opinion that they're supposed to get, don't the photographers do this? John, the photographer, you've done wedding. The first sight of the bride? Who cares? Why isn't it the, the bride getting the first sight of the groom? Because when the bride sees the groom, she wonders if he's really riveted by her. It's all about her to her. Not in a bad way, but just, you know, does he, oh, he must be really thrilled to see me. Not I'm really thrilled to see him. Rethink how you go about it. Don't worry about the weddings and the pictures you take. That's not the application. Because... It might be better if you were thinking of weddings as some young woman looking for a lord. It might be better for you if you thought that way. But more concern is that you're in your life before God as Christians looking for a lord. 
And too often, just like in our weddings today, our marriages today, you, it looks like people are just looking to be boyfriend and girlfriend with benefits, roommates with benefits. And uh, we're not really viewing our Christ as someone to whom we have bowed the knee. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every. You might want to take care of it earlier. You might want to increase him because he will be increased. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your Son, his Lordship in this world and all worlds. We would ask that we would learn what it is to be a bride, thrilled, taken in, wanting and pursuing our Lord. In your Son's name, amen.